you guys were in the thick of things years and years ago, and you brought up the word hesed, the ancient Hebrew word. Explain that to us. Well, hesed is that Hebrew word that puts together both love and mercy. And it's that, it, and it comes from who God is, because he is the God of hesed. He is constantly speaking love and mercy into our lives, seeing what we can't do, and speaking mercy into our weaknesses and loving us for who we are as we are. And that is really the basis of loving relationships. And that means it's not contingent or conditional on how the other person acts. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Reframing Ministries, and I am so excited to have my guest, Jolene Philo, back with me for the third time. Jolene, you're my first guest to be interviewed three times. Oh, I am honored. I had no idea. Yes, you are. Today, we are talking about a book that Jolene and Gary Chapman have written together called Sharing Love Abundantly. In Special Need Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. Now, before you turn it off and say, I don't have a child with a disability, this isn't for me, I'm going to give some statistics that are, it will blow your mind because it blew mine yesterday when I pulled them up. Today, one in 40 children, according to the CDC, in the United States are, have a diagnosis of autism. 50% of all Americans within their lifetime will have a mental health diagnosis at some time or another. Intimate partner violence, which also produces mental health issues, among other things. Uh, one in four women and one in seven men. And traumatic brain injuries, which, of course, we're hearing so much more about with all that's going on with football players, but also just traumatic brain injuries, from car accidents, from all kinds of things has grown by 53% in the last two years. So whether you have a special need child or you are a person that has no special need child, you are valuable and vital to this conversation. So as we dive into it, Jolene, let's talk about, first of all, what got you to write this book on the five love languages for special need families. Well, I have to say it was none of my doing initially. I had never even thought of the idea. But one day in February of 2017, I went into my study and opened up my computer, checked my email, and there was an email from a woman who's the mother of children with special needs. And she also guest blogs at my blog, differentdream.com. And she said, hey, Jolene, when are you going to write a book about special needs families, and the five love languages. And a light bulb appeared over my head, I'm pretty sure. And I thought, that is a wonderful idea. So I ran it by my family that night. They had the same reaction. I emailed my agent the next day. She had the same reaction. We were fortunate enough to um, already know Jocelyn Green, who co-wrote the five love languages for military families with Gary Chapman. So I was able to contact her. She was able to direct me to the information we needed. My agent made all the calls and we were able to contact Dr. Chapman's um, office and his representative said he has wanted to write a book about this for a long time. Wow. Because he, whenever he speaks, there's inevitably someone who comes up and says, but I have a child with special needs, and what you're saying doesn't quite apply. Are you thinking of writing a book about this? So basically, I think we were, he was waiting for the green light, and for some reason, I was the one tapped on the shoulder to, to contact him and, and provide the special needs parenting um, background that he doesn't have. So that's how it started. Well, you do have the background to write this because of your own story. So walk us through some of those early days and how you all worked through showing love to your son 
through your whole family from your earliest days as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, my father was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was two and he was 29. So my brother and sister and I grew up in a caregiving family with my dad. And he lived until uh, 1997. By that time, he was in a nursing home. But our growing up years were very much involved in caregiving and helping mom. And then in 1982, our first child was born, my husband and I. Our son, Alan, was born with a condition that was quite life-threatening. His esophagus didn't connect together. It hooked into his trachea instead. So he had to have surgery shortly after birth and about five years of surgery and then another surgery at age 15. And so especially during those first four or five years of his life, it was a very intense caregiving situation with lots of crises and lots of, of, you know, trips, flying trips to the hospital and all that kind of thing. And we really, back in the early 80s, didn't have a lot of supports to draw on. There were no books Mm -hmm. on special needs parenting back then. We were in a very remote area, so the population wasn't very large, and there weren't a lot of children with disabilities and special needs where we lived. And even when we moved from that remote area of South Dakota to where we now live in Iowa, uh, it just wasn't as prevalent or Mm -hmm. as talked about. And as my son grew up and we had some challenges with him then related to post-traumatic stress disorder caused by all of that early medical intervention, I continually was looking for resources and couldn't find them. And it seemed like God kind of uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, why don't you start writing them, which led to my writing career. Hmm. But um, what what I really discovered, even in my previous career as a teacher, where I worked with a lot of kids with special needs and raising our son, and then our daughter, uh, what I realized when I read the first the first Love Languages book by Dr. Chapman was what a boon this could be with our kids mm-hmm. and with my students. And so we started using the five love languages with our kids, and I started using them at school and just saw how they enhanced the connections we had, and we were able to just love each other better and more easily, to be frank, than we had before. And so when this opportunity arose to directly address families of kids with special needs, I was so excited to be able to be part of the project. Well, what's interesting is you talk about four different kinds of attachment from the book Parenting from the Inside Out, which is one of my cornerstone books. I love that book. I do, too. And you talk about the four different attachment styles and the developmental process, whether it be a typical or not typical individual. And you talked about how implementing the love languages affected the entire being of the child as you taught them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Give me some examples of that. Well, um, I'm, I'm thinking of a child that I taught who I had him as a third grader. And when he, when he came into my classroom, he wasn't reading yet very much, not not fluently at all and not very well at all. And yet he was this amazing artist. Hmm. I mean, an amazing artist. And I realized that I had to somehow connect with him in a way that he could understand. And maybe, I don't know if this has a love languages connection or not, but I would ask him questions and I could see that he knew the answer. He just couldn't get the word out. But if Hmm. he drew it, he could give me the correct answer. So I did a lot of tests and projects with him and with all my students because every kid loves to draw. And and I just kind of, I I found another way to get the ball into Into the end zone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that was by meeting the kids in the way they communicated best. Hmm. And that also then worked with the love languages, you know, because I really think one of his, primary love languages might have been words of affirmation. Hmm. And so I tried to affirm him and tried to encourage him to use the words he had um, and then use the his visual skills to help him figure out how to communicate those words and put the two together. And I actually was able to have that student and that whole class for two years. So I was their teacher in third grade and then again in fourth grade. And um, I saw his mother 
some while later in the grocery store and asked how he was doing many years later. And she said, well, he wasn't able to do really well on his ACTs after high school, but he was able to submit a portfolio and he got into the Savannah School of Art and Design. Wow. Yes. And he graduated from there and then he was able to get into a graduate program, I think somewhere in Kansas, maybe Kansas State, in their art department. And then after that, he was hired as an art professor at one of the Iowa universities. You know, and and not every story ends like that. But I tried to make sure that he understood that he brought a lot into our classroom and that I valued him. And one of the things I told him early on was, every day I want to hear from every child in this room because you're all important and you all have important things to say. So I can help you think of something you want to contribute or you can raise your hand and I'll be sure and call on you because I really don't want to just have to call on you to hear your voice and not have you be prepared. So it even involved teaching him how to speak those words. And I and again, I think words of affirmation was one of his really strong love languages because he responded so well to my affirmation of who he was. That is incredible. In fact, yeah. what I want to do... I. Didn't realize this, but for those who are not familiar with the Five Love Languages book, there are five love languages that Dr. Chapman has identified, and I I wrote them down for us just to review real quickly. Um, One is words of affirmation, like you were just talking about, which is unsolicited compliments, verbal or written, words of appreciation, and words that are humble and kind. What I found interesting in this one was harsh or insulting words are devastating to individuals who receive love by words of affirmation. The next one was quality time, giving someone full and undivided attention. The next is gifts or receiving gifts, whether purchased, handmade, found, whatever they are, a tangible gift lets someone know that you care. It's a visible symbol of love. The next is acts of service, doing helpful things for another person, such as setting the table, washing the dog, washing dishes. I mean, can I name how many acts of service I love? (laughs) 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 And then the last one is physical touch, a deliberate touch that that requires your full attention to deliver, whether it be a back rub, a foot massage, a hug, a high five, whatever it is, it is a touch that leaves a message, I love you. Now, how can a parent or a caregiver or any person interacting with someone who has some kind of challenge or disability show their love for that person to them? Well, the first thing to do, if at all possible, is to identify that other person's love language. And one of the things that um, the book does is provides a lot of ideas on how to identify those from the little quizzes you can take to some games you can play with children to observation techniques for children that maybe aren't going to be able to do those other things. So once you've identified their love language, you kind of have to learn to speak it if it isn't your primary love language, too. And then you just have to start intentionally speaking that love language to that child in your life. So some things that I would do as a teacher when you have a whole classroom and you aren't going to probably figure out everybody's love language is, as I mentioned, there was an aspect of quality time in what I did with my former student in that I said, I want to hear you talk every day and I want to listen to you. And that's quality time. Mm -hmm. We would always at the end of the day, I'd stand by the door and they could either give me a high five or a fist bump or a handshake, um, which are appropriate things for at at school, at home. Of course, you can do hugs and cuddles and all that kind of thing. I didn't do a lot with gifts, though they would maybe get a gift like a May basket or something like that. And Words of affirmation, I was constantly speaking those to them. And then I did a lot of modeling with the kids. And I think this is really good for us to do with our children at home. Modeling of acts of service and telling them what we're, what you're doing. I'm doing this. I'm showing you how to organize your notebook so that you can organize it easier on your own. And you'll know that skill for as you go through school. 
So we can do those things at home with our kids too. I'm showing you where I put the band-aids. So next time you have a cut finger, you can bandage it yourself because you're getting older and I've noticed you're getting more independent and I'm so proud of you for that. So you can do that. So there you've done acts of service, a little bit of quality time and some words of affirmation all in one. And if the band-aids have Paw Patrol or um, princesses on them, you've mm. also given them a gift. So, and it's a band-aid. And it's just a band-aid. You know, you've just shown them a little thing. You've also taught empowerment and competency, yes. which are huge developmental processes that without that, there's learned helplessness. So you're hitting exactly. a lot of different areas. Yeah. And then that goes on, that goes straight back to um, helping strengthen their attachments and helping make their attachments healthier because you're providing the security kids who don't have a healthy attachment style for whatever reason need to become more securely attached instead of unhealthily attached. One of the things that I love um, that you wrote in identifying what their love language is, is to observe where they spend their time, mm -hmm. what they care about doing, and what they do do, and just what they're interested in. And so much of that is observation. You just, as a parent or as a friend who wants to help the family, just observe how does that person interact with the world so I can learn to interact with them. Yes. And, you know, we can do that whatever the level of development of our child with special needs. I know a family that has a, a daughter who's in her probably mid to late 30s by now. And she uh, has the mental ability of probably a four or five month old child. And they take wonderful care of her. And I remember when her mother told me, we know that our daughter is calmed by watching the lights flicker on the television. Hmm. So that's something we do for her. We know it calms her. Hmm. And we make sure that she has that time every day because that's something she enjoys. She couldn't tell them that in words, but her behavior told, told them that. And that's the kind of thing that we have to do then with our children who have special needs. Observe them and see what it is that calms them, what motivates them, and where they spend their time, where they choose to spend their time when they have free time. Isn't this so much about observation and caring to be interested in caring? It is. And isn't that the basis of love? Getting yes. out of ourselves and what we like and observing what others, what makes other people tick and helping provide that for them too. Well, yes. And that brings up a great point that you brought out in the book where you guys were in the thick of things years and years ago, and you brought up the word hesed, mm -hmm. the ancient Hebrew word. Explain that to us. Well, hesed is that um, Hebrew word that puts together both love and mercy and it's that it and it comes from who God is because he is the God of Hesed. he is constantly speaking love and mercy into our lives seeing what we can't do and speaking mercy into our weaknesses and loving us for who we are as we are and that is really the basis of loving relationships and that means it's not contingent or conditional on how the other person acts. Hmm. So when we can show said the same kind of said that God shows to us, we are really providing that foundation of security that our children need. Uh, and I remember my husband, I really became aware of, of it when I realized my husband understood it way more than me. At one point, before we had children, I was really angry and I kind of went into a rant and he looked at me and he said, Jolene, I don't think you understand. It doesn't matter what you do or what decisions you make. I will always love you and I will stay married to you. And my first response was that wasn't, um, wow, he loves me a lot. My first response was, whoa, I'm going to have to figure out a way to make this work because there's no way out of it. 
<laughs> I got to find that Hesed love that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to figure this out for myself. But it also then, and it took a while and I did, and it's what kept us grounded and together through the really hard times with, with our son. And there were some really hard times with him because I knew that my husband was there no matter what. And when we use the five love languages with our children and with our spouses and with other people, we create that foundation for them that they can be who they are and not be in fear that we're going to pull our love away from them. Um, before Jonathan came along, it was easy to figure out my kids' love languages because I so wanted to learn them and wanted to learn about them and love them in the way they could receive it. But with Jonathan, because he couldn't talk and all he did was scream, that makes it really hard to know how to love this child. And he screamed and cried for like years <laughs> with sensory things and with, with pain and he had physical pain and all kinds of stuff going on. And I learned when I put him on the dryer at night and rubbed his feet, it was the only time he didn't cry. So I dried every bit of clothing I could find. <laughs> we all wore like size two pair of clothing. <laughs> but I learned just by observation, mm -hmm. his love language, one of them was physical touch. Right. It wasn't that difficult. And we can make it so difficult. But I think also with special need parenting, we're exhausted. It is yes, exhausting. And there's nothing in us to give. In fact, you talked about grief. One of the gals that you interviewed talked about the three stages of a special need parenting grief. The drowning stage where all you can take in is that your child has a disability. The second or the second one is over advocacy where the parent thinks, if I do this, they'll get better. I so did that. And the third stage is the surfer stage. A parent sees the wave coming, gets knocked down, and sometimes gets back up. But to be honest, Jolene, there were times where I couldn't get up. Mm -hmm. Speak into how people can help, especially parents, because it's exhausting. Uh, I think we just need to be aware uh, as the people around the family raising the child with special needs that whether or not that family says they need anything, hmm. they need something and they need support. Every family raising children with special needs requires more support than they can give. And so it's our, it's dependent on us to reach into that family and figure out some ways to help them. And one of the ways we can do that is by employing the love languages. Mm -hmm. So we can call that friend or that acquaintance or whatever and say, you know, I'd really like to help and I, I want to do something. And we can make a specific suggestion of a practical thing we could do. And then we can also ask, you know, are you familiar with uh, the five love languages? If they say yes, and a lot of them are familiar with them, then you can say, well, what is your love language and what's your spouse's love language and maybe what's your child's love language? We can take that information and we can start speaking their love language to them in, in simple ways. And if they don't, haven't heard of the five love languages yet, well, first of all, get the book. Give them, <laughs> give them the book. Yes. Yeah, you can give them the book and let them read it and or even say, you know, I'd love to come over and just talk to you about these ideas if the parents look like I don't even have the wherewithal to read a book. Right. You know, well, could you at least fill out this little quiz for me and I'll figure out your love language and we can talk about it more when you're not so stressed and and then you can just start doing things for them. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's it's really pretty simple and the book has lots of ideas of what um, we as the family and the friends and the church family around those people can do. But one of the best things I think we can do is acts of service and then um, free up some space for them to have time away from all the drudgery. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say drudgery, but all the demands mm -hmm. of their parenting journey. 
So, and um, when I was working on this book, my agent, who had just had her fourth child and, and her kids are all pretty young, she said, you know, I think every new mother uh, by default goes into acts of service as her primary love language yes. because you just need so much help. Mm-hmm. And I think for special needs families, that reality extends a lot further because our kids are, our caregiving for our kids is much more intense, much longer. So think of those acts of service you can do, take them meals, you know, offer to pick up their other kids in carpool, pick up their mail, just anything. Come in and help them do laundry, offer to clean their house, whatever they need. And then the other thing we need to do then is give them the gift of some time. So offer to come in and learn and get to know the child with special needs and the other children so that maybe... You can get trained if they have medical equipment, or maybe you and another friend could come over if you don't want to do it alone. Figure, Help learn the routine, help until the kids get comfortable around you, and then you could watch them even just for an hour so that the parent of the child with special needs could go out for a walk or go have a cup of coffee by themselves at the coffee shop or get a pedicure or just something like that. And we can easily find the wherewithal to do that. And the other thing you're doing when you can step into those families is you're helping that child with special needs grow their circle and you're enriching that child's environment because now they have another person who they know and can trust and and can relate to. And we all need friends. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't survive by just having our parents take care of us our whole lives. We all need a greater circle. And so if we can step in and help the parents in that way by providing some relief, we're also enriching a child's life. I know there have been times as recently as last night where <laughs> <laughs> where I was talking with Jonathan as I was tucking him in bed. He's 21, almost 22, and um, we are working through something personally that's very heartbreaking. And so he was expressing his sadness in the most authentic childlike way. And I just started crying with him. And I came away from the conversation emotionally exhausted. And when you said, just go get a cup of coffee by myself or someone who would be able to step in so I could at least catch up emotionally, I can't even tell you what a gift that would be to any mother's life or any father's life. Exactly. You know, when when my son was very little and very sick, I was a teacher and I had to keep teaching because my job had the insurance at that time and it was very good insurance. And what I, at first, I was like, oh, but I should be staying home with my sick baby. I must be a terrible mother. But what I realized as I went back to work and was able to be in a classroom with students whose behavior was way more predictable than my son's was at that time, was just that space of being away from him for a while and letting someone else who was entirely competent to deal with his needs, and by the way, who also loved to rock babies all day long, (laughs) which has never been me. When I came home at night, I was in much better shape to to give my son what only I could give. So, yeah, if we can find a way to just pull back and get away from the intensity of it as parents of kids with special needs, and if others can help provide that space, you have been a huge blessing to to a family and a parent. And if you do it so that the the parents can go out together and have some time together, well, that's even more amazing. Absolutely. You know, I came across a really good article that I found in a book on counseling, and it was written by Diane Langberg on shepherding and caring for others. And she says, you and I are fit to tend to sheep only to the degree to which we ourselves have learned to follow the good shepherd. We begin by beholding the Lamb of God, asking him to search us out and repent of anything in our life that displeases him. And as a result, we are empowered to bring his life and influence into every relationship. That's where we have to begin. But the lessons I have also learned are, and she lists, humility, the Lamb of God identified with and served those who are most cursed or wounded. 
Most of us prefer to be with the attractive, like-minded people with whom you have a natural affinity. Jesus, on the other hand, identified with those whose personalities were abnormal, or they were isolated, or diseased, the blind, the lame, or those who were demon-possessed. It's humility that gets us going. Then she writes, choose lesser things. The good shepherd emptied himself of those things that elevated him. He did not demand any recognition. He did not complain that Nazareth was too limited a sphere for his great gifts. He didn't seek to dominate those around him. When the disciples started to squabble over who would be best and highest in the kingdom, Jesus got down on his hands and knees and he washed their dirty feet. And then, isn't that great? And then she Mm -hmm. writes... Restraint. We must learn to limit our words because people who are suffering cannot absorb the barrage of words or understand the language of high intellect. She says, speak softly, move slowly and carefully. The traumatized, the silent, the scared, they are suffering. So we must restrain our words and be with them in their suffering. And then finally, she says, loving service. Jesus identified on the deepest level with those who are suffering. We must step out of our education or our skill level thinking, I have to be skilled at this to serve and step into the messy muck and mire of their world. How can we encourage the church community, Jolene? to set aside a preconceived idea that I have to be qualified or knowledgeable on this disability to serve this family? Well, the first thing I think that might help is most people of a certain age within the church uh, are parents and just have them reflect on when they first became parents and how inadequate and unknowledgeable about parenting they were when they took that baby home and they still managed to make it through by the grace of God. Isn't it amazing that any (laughs) child lives? (laughs) Yeah. So if they were able to raise that child and they were unqualified to do so, well, then they can certainly help out with this other child if they feel unqualified because the grace of God becomes our sufficiency. Mm. I think we just have to provide opportunities, too, for people to become comfortable. You know, we don't want to ask someone, well, would you be able to come over and help with this child who's on a vent and has a trach and, you know, it mm-hmm. has choking issues and there's a feeding tube and yada, yada, yada. That's a, a, a lot to expect of someone who is untrained and probably it's unwise somebody yeah it's unwise we need somebody who is trained to work with someone like that but we can ask them and maybe even with a child who has some um pretty significant mental illness issues or behavioral challenges that's also not a good place to start but we can encourage them to start with someone closer to what they can handle and then we have to come around and provide the supports they need to learn and grow Hmm. you know we we have to provide them with training we have to pair them up with people who have more understanding Hmm. and gradually they'll feel more qualified and start to participate more Uh, my friend Katie Weatherby always gives a really good example there was this gentleman who would sit and read his paper and she approached him one day and asked him, you know, would you like to help out with kids ministry? And he said, no, I wouldn't. I don't like kids. And she said, okay, well, could you like sit by the exit there and read your paper and <laughs> I you love know, guard Katie. the door so kids <laughs> don't run out, you know, and make sure that that door doesn't get used as an exit by someone who shouldn't be leaving. Well, he said, yeah, I could do that. Great. And Yeah, and so eventually then he started talking to the kids and got to know them and became more involved. So we have to find a place where people are comfortable. But at the same time, we have to challenge them because if we only, if we let them stay comfortable all the time, they're never, some people will never move beyond their comfort level. So we do, we kind of have to um, kind of show them 
how much these families and these children need the love of Jesus and that we're the ones called to give it to them. And then we need to just pray. And I think that's where we really have to start is just with prayer. God, you know, open the doors. And if it's not going to be this person, and it usually isn't the person you think it's supposed to be, God leads you or brings in someone who you didn't expect or a church that you didn't think was interested or whatever, and just pray for him to reveal the path he has and then just stay faithful. We have to stay faithful and keep encouraging families and keep working and not give up when when people say no. One of the things that I loved that you included in this was that parents of children with special needs on um, the section on grief and guilt and how we love our kids and want to do everything that we can to encourage them and to help them heal. But when we can't fulfill that, the grief and the guilt stays with us. I I wrestle with that a lot. And to understand, you're talking to a parent, me, who carries this grief that won't ever change unless the Lord chooses to heal Jonathan or takes him home. Ministering to the family is just as important as the individual with the special needs, if not more important. It really is, because if the parent um, can't come to grips with that grief and guilt, and of course, it is going to hit sometimes, and it's okay to grieve, and it's okay to work through the guilt and decide, do I have anything to be guilty about or not? And if I do, I need to confess it. And if I don't, I can, I'm free to move on. Right. People need to stop. Parents of kids with special needs and disabilities need to stop sometimes and, and acknowledge those and allow those feelings. But we can't camp there. Right. We can't make it our permanent space. We need to move on and move out of that. And again, that's where people coming around us can help. Um, and also finding other parents in similar circumstances. Because I think a lot of the problems for parents is parents of kids with special needs is they think that that response is abnormal. Hmm. And it may be abnormal if you're comparing yourself to a group of parents of typical children, Hmm. but it's a very normal response for parents of kids with special needs who are living in an abnormal situation. And once we realize that, that in our situation, these feelings are normal, that can ease the guilt right then. And then we can find some other people we know experience the same thing and talk to them and let them help us. You know, so much of Reframing Ministries has been birthed and grown through what I've learned from Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And It is so vital to reflect on what do I believe about God? Did God make a mistake here? Is he to blame? Um, To reflect on that and then to journal about those feelings because it can become an identity. Our identity is in Christ. It's not in our special needs child. Mm -hmm. We have to move through that. But as you look back on your own passages, what has been the biggest challenge to reframing your day-to-day life, your mentality, your new normal? What was the greatest challenge? And then also, what was most helpful? Um, I think the greatest challenge in all of this is my tendency to make um, my son's special condition and things he's gone through and even my father's life all about me, you know, because that's what we, that's what we as humans do. And I do it really, really well. You know, I, (laughs) yeah, I'm kind of a pro at making things all about me. (laughs) So my biggest challenge all along has been my thought life Hmm. and that battle um, between listening to lies from the enemy and turning to and embracing the truth um, that comes from the Holy Spirit within and God's Word. And just what helps me the most when I'm dealing with any of those situations and want to make their situation and their disability all about me, which if you think about it, that is so twisted. 
you know. I so understand. Yeah. I have to start recognizing that when my thoughts start going there Hmm. and then turn. The problem is I can't even recognize it when it happens. Hmm. I have to ask the Holy Spirit to send up red flag warnings, Hmm. you know, so that I'm like, oh, wait, I'm doing it again. And then just ask him, help me think about you. I just want to think about you. Um, There was one point that helped me the most when we were going through a really hard time with our son. And I realized, or the Holy Spirit helped me realize that what I was going through had been experienced by the level of pain my son was going through, Jesus experienced on the cross, my level of emotional pain at having to release my child had been experienced by God the Father when he sent his son to earth to die. And that whatever I was experiencing, God knew and Jesus knew. And I could, you know, it's like when you find that person who understands how you're thinking and cares about what you care and is passionate about what you're passionate about. It's like in Anne of Green Gables where she, you know, she finds her kindred spirit and For special needs parents, God is our kindred spirit. That is something that has been transformative in my own life and in working through the um, physical trauma that Jonathan has endured. Um, I about lost my mind because of the nature of special needs and our human systems. um, They are abused and assaulted far more often. Yes. And to get past that, the only thing I could hang on to was, Jesus, you know what it's like to be abused and assaulted and Mm -hmm. even killed. Thank you for not killing my son. (laughs) And thank you for understanding that I don't have space in my life for much more than just breathing and that you're okay with that. It's Jesus's life that we have to go back to as our foundation. And when you said it's all about me at times, the first step in reframing is to reflect on what are we believing. We have to reflect on not just our pain, but on what Christ endured. Because he is acquainted with grief. There is nothing out of our lives that he has not endured on some level. And there is such tremendous comfort in that. Exactly. And that's, I think, why um, the day Jesus died is called Good Friday and not Bad Friday Mm. or Horrible Friday. (laughs) (laughs) It's Good Friday because when we reflect on what he did for us, we see his true goodness and how it makes all the bad have purpose and and hope. And so it is a Good Friday. Which is so fitting for, again, the process that we go through when we reframe our lives. There's a greater purpose that no one can see when everything has been shattered. I couldn't. You couldn't. You just are trying to breathe and get medical and support for your child. Mm-hmm. But here we are 22. 30, 40 years later, saying, speaking hope and truth into people who are suffering and following behind us. Exactly. You know, and, and that's why we do it, because we want people who, who are coming up behind us to know that where they are now is not where they will always be. In fact, speak into that for the person listening today, the mom or the dad who is driving to the next therapy thing or blending the next diet need, and they're thinking, I can't do this another day. Um, I guess my response would be, can you do it for another five minutes? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you probably can. You know, if you can just get through these five minutes and then the next five minutes, And then the next, eventually you'll be to the next day. And not every day is going to be like that. And then the other thing I would say is, so what do you need 
to make it through the next five minutes or the next day or whatever and just ask God to provide it, to send the person, to give you the strength, you know, to help you find the $10 on the ground that's just there for you to pick up. Any of those little things, what do you need and to get through this next few minutes and ask for it? And then finally, um, what can you do to get through it? Does it mean you need to call somebody or text them and say, I don't think I can make it. Could you call me back um, and talk to me? Or could you meet me at such and such a time? And then because we tend to try to do it all ourselves and we don't want to seem as needy as we are. So we're going to have to reach out and ask. Now, you can't be doing that all day, every day, because eventually... Um, <laughs> you're going to burn through you're everybody. You're going to wear out all your friends. <laughs> but when you need it, you really need it, and you need to have somebody you can call. So you need to kind of build that team, which I know sounds like another thing you have to do. But if you're driving to that appointment and you really feel like you can't do it for five more minutes when you get to that appointment, tell the therapist or tell the doctor, whoever it is you're taking your child to see, I'm at my wit's end. I don't think I can do this. Can you help me find some help? And maybe they'll be able to help you. You just have to reach out. So so do it. And then as you do reach out, start listening and learning and coming up with ways to to make it through to the next day. And sometimes the five love languages can help you do that to bring it back to this book, <laughs> you know. Well, absolutely. <laughs> you and- can call somebody and say, I really need somebody to pour love into me right now because I'm about ready to lose it. So I'm just going to let you right now, know right now that my primary love language is receiving gifts. Hmm. <laughs> take, take responsibility Please. and open the door. <laughs> yeah, just some kind of a gift. It can be the gift of your time. It can be the gift of a meal. But I need, I need to feel loved. So, and they will. Well, the book offers so many fantastic suggestions for each of the love languages, not just for parents, but also for those in the church community on how we can care. Really, there are. And I cannot take credit for those things at all, those lists, because those came from the parents who I interviewed and allowed me to share their stories in the book. One of the questions that I asked families or the parents when I interviewed them for the book was, what are your best ways of showing the love languages, whatever ones they are? You know, what are the inexpensive ones? And what are the ones that don't take a lot of time or planning? Because we're people who don't have a lot of money, time, or brain power to do fancy planning. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And those, the parents that I interviewed, just had idea after idea after idea. And so when you see those lists of ideas in the back of the book or suggestions of what you can do, those are not from me and they're not from Dr. Chapman. They are from families just like you. Hmm. And, and you can just whisper a quick prayer of thanks for them participating and ask God to make their day a little easier in the process, too. Well, that's one of the things that I loved about it is that you did reach out to our community and yeah. said, you know, I want to know how you have incorporated this into your own life and have been intentional and in what has worked. And seriously, they... There's so many suggestions in the book and suggestions for loving on the siblings. Yeah. Because the sibling life is incredibly challenging. It is. And they tend to be asked to um, to be um, wise and giving beyond their years. Right. And they can be overlooked or they can have to be patient while parents deal with the other child with special needs or whatever it is. And so it was really important to me that those siblings were recognized in the book and the importance of of using the love languages with them was emphasized also. It really is a whole family system need, isn't it? It really is. And that's one of the stories, too, that's in the last um, chapter of the book, which is called Voices of Experience, which is where I put all the wonderful stories people told that really didn't fit in the other chapters. And one man, one mom talked about how, you know, we live, because our child has special needs, we live at a higher level of stress all the time. 
Right. And that means when something bad happens, we don't have as much flexibility or give before we hit the breaking point. And so the love languages, the beauty of the love languages is that they are an easy way to lower everybody's stress and to make them feel more loved. And you're never going to maybe get down to the stress level of a family raising all typical children, but it's going to be lower and it's going to give you more of a cushion for when those other things happen that raise your stress. So you maybe won't hit that breaking point. I am so thrilled for this book coming out. So let us know how can we get a hold of you and get a hold of this book and give it as a gift to everybody in our churches and communities (laughs) because it is just so needed. You can contact me at my website, differentdream.com. There's a contact button and you can email me and I promise to get back to you. The book is also on Amazon. So if you just go into Amazon and type in Sharing Love Abundantly and put in Jolene Philo, and that's P-H-I-L-O, or put in Gary Chapman, which is a whole lot easier to spell. (laughs) And I would also encourage churches, if you would be interested in ordering larger quantities to give away as gifts or whatever, also contact me through my website at differentdream.com, and I can direct you to the people at the publishers who deal with uh, larger orders and and can clue you in on some discounts they might offer in that case. What a gift that would be. Wouldn't that be, though? That would be amazing. Churches, pastors that are listening, can you just do that, please? Because <laughs> we all need it so much. Um, as always, you can get a hold of me at reframingministries at insight.org. I would love to connect with you and just listen. I am with Jolene in parenting a child with special needs, so I understand so much of this vocabulary, the exhaustion and the need to be seen and recognized and cared for. So Jolene, thank you so very much for your time, and thank you for putting your time and heart into this book. I hope it changes lives. I do too. That's the whole reason I do it, and it was a delight to write because of all the families um, that that told me their stories. They are so precious. And thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. Again, I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, Jolene. Thank you. You can find the show notes and resources in the podcast description or on our website. If this episode encouraged you, I would love to hear your story about how it helped you as you rate and review the podcast. And you can connect with Reframing on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and other platforms. Visit reframingministries.com if you'd like to explore more of our resources and to subscribe for our weekly and monthly content. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.